they weren't necessarily boring, but the viewer was seeing everything they needed to see and then moving on to the next painting and then very quickly leaving. My slow-paced painting was actually causing a very fast-paced viewing experience. I wanted viewers to look at it longer. I wanted them to find their own connection with it and interpretation. And so that's when I started, I think, taking out all my tools I had formally and using abstraction to kind of mess all that up. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 193rd episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Claire Stankus, who spoke with me from Maine, where she is currently wrapped up with her MFA degree. She's got a group exhibition coming up in the next few weeks at LMAC Gallery. And in the interview, of course, we talk all about her studio practice, her evolution as a painter and drawer. So please stay tuned for that interview. Before we get there, I do want to remind listeners that our 2018 Studio Break competition is now open to all undergraduate and graduate-level studio artists. So if you're currently enrolled or recently graduated, you should apply. Again, be featured on Studio Break. Share your work. Again, it's super easy. You submit a small fee. You email a website address with at least 10 images and an artist statement, or just email a PDF with 10 images and an artist statement, and you are done. Our juror this year is Brian Frink. He is the head of Raka or Rural America Contemporary Art. He is the head of the art department at Minnesota State University, Mankato, and he'll be selecting three artists from each of those categories, so three undergrad, three grad, to be featured on Studio Break. So if you're interested or know anyone else that is, please encourage them to apply. The deadline is today, May 31st, so get those applications in. And of course, if you want to find out more about Studio Break, please be sure to check it out. We've got a lot of interviews up there. You can go through our archives. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work, as well as links to their websites, so you can delve into their work even further. And be sure to listen to the interviews right there on the default player, or click that iTunes hyperlink and subscribe to the podcast there. Of course, you can find us on Facebook, so please like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter, at Studio Break, and of course on Instagram, at Studio underscore Break. So please check us out there. Here is our interview with Claire. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Claire Stankus. How are you this morning? I'm great, thank you. I think you're in a number of different places. I can't keep them all track. Um, where are you currently uh, speaking to us from? I am in Storrs, Connecticut currently. Okay, okay. And, um, you know, as, as you know, we kind of invite uh, artists on and, you know, have them spill the beans, as it were, about their background and all that sort of stuff. So as I always like to kind of start out with is thinking about, you know, what kind of, you know, creative endeavors did you have when you were a kid? Were you a creative uh, child? I, I believe I was. I think I was sort of like a timid, like creative person. But I always loved drawing and painting. And I have an older brother who also had those interests. So I think a little bit was my interest and a little bit was watching what he was doing and wanting to copy that. But I was always, um, our mother always enrolled us in summer art classes and summer camps. Um, that was very visually driven. So I think I always had a knack for art at a very young age. And, and was it mostly just kind of like a focus in art or did you do other things? Right. I was primarily visual art. I didn't really love sports. And so my extracurriculars were always in the visual fields. Whereas my brother, for instance, did a lot more performing arts as okay. well. 
And so was that something that your your parents were pretty encouraging of as you were kind of like getting getting older and and again it's weird cuz I I heard I try to think back to what it would be like to to be a a, a teenager now or something like that but I mean was that something where they were very supportive of you you know looking to I don't know find something that was in the creative field They were very supportive I don't know if it was necessarily their mm-hmm. idea I think it was very much driven I was interested in it and I wanted to pursue it. And they were very much supportive of those decisions. I think I was in second grade and I used to draw from illustrations from kids books. And I I did some tracings too, but I mainly just drew what I saw. And I remember bringing this drawing home to my mom and she looked at it and just thought it was so realistic to the illustration. And she thought I, she thought I traced it and I probably am making this more dramatic than it it really was. But I remember she brought me back to school and we looked at my drawing and the book and compared it because she really thought I traced it. And I don't think in like a, she thought I was like a lying sort of way. She just wanted that Mm -hmm. answer. And like the scale was all wrong. And like there were some proportional things that were off. Um, but she realized that I had not traced it. And I think that was sort of a moment I realized not every child I was in school with had the ability that I had to, to draw on the interest. And I think that sort of made me realize I, um, I was good at something. And so in terms of like high school then, I mean, were you taking all sorts of art classes and you kind of, um, you went to the guidance counselor and they're like, you should do this. And you're like, yes. Or was it yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly like that. I think I had a pretty uh, traditional sort of upbringing, especially as an art kid, too, where, you know, you take the studio art classes that are usually taught in high school. I took that in eighth grade, you know, every other day during my lunch period. So I was always, you know, a class ahead in art, um, sort of challenging myself. And then, you know, yes, then the guidance counselor was like, all right, well, you'll like, the, you know, this studio art class and then this. 2d class and it kind of just snowballed from there in terms of like pursuing like a college degree then did you how did how did that come about i i do remember in like eighth grade having to take those sort of personality tests that would or a a career path and i remember i would always get like pediatrician or teacher Mm -hmm. and i think even when i was a young kid i enjoyed teaching I kind of put my love for art making and teaching and it's like, okay, well maybe I want to go to school to teach art or do something in the creative field. And I think as a high school student, you know, everything's really broad. You don't know what you are going to do when you're older, but something creative. And I was taking um, some summer art classes too for college credit 
And so all of that was kind of helping me decide, all right, well, I'm going to go to school for art. It might be for advertising, might be illustration, it might be design, it might be, you know, studio art, but I'll figure that out when I get there. And so I looked at a bunch of different programs. You know, I, I liked the idea of going to a liberal arts school that had a strong art department as opposed to just an art school, um, because I really did love other fields. Like I liked taking my math classes. I loved geology. And so I wanted that sort of well-rounded college experience. And, um, yeah, I found a really great fit at Syracuse university cause they had such a diverse and strong art program. And I quickly, like within the first year, quickly realized I wanted to continue painting. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't, they have a great design program, but I wanted to strictly focus in studio art. Well, and that's something that's kind of interesting to think about relative to your work. Cause you know, just in terms of taking notes and things this morning, you know, there's to me some real connection between the, the drawing aspects and then the observe aspects as they relate to paint and then abstraction and representation and where all those things kind of you know, maybe overlap. So I'm, I'm kind of curious as like an undergraduate when you're starting then, are you really kind of drawn to working from observation and, and, you know, doing still lives and slowly kind of evolving into, you know, kind of exploring your own content? Yeah, I think it starts from observation. I think even in high school studio art classes, we're so familiar with drawing still lives assignments that we're seeing and learning art and learning those skills in that setting. And so I think that naturally I'm focused more on drawing what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. Still to this day, I don't, I can't just imagine something and kind of create it or sort of respond just to my materials. I sort of need to be looking at something. Um, and it doesn't have, it can be observational direct observation or, you know, from a photograph too. I like having some sort of image to prompt, prompt my work. Sure. Sure. Were there like particular works early on that you can kind of look back at and, and thinking that like that was a very informative time to explore X? Yeah. I think, um, my freshman year at Syracuse, they had a great foundations program that sort of rotated you through 3d computer um, and time-based art and design and just drawing. You know, at the end of the day, I still came back to drawing and painting, but I think having some experience using like iMovie and different time-based video art really informed um, my work because I, I am interested in movies and narratives um, and I, I kind of draw things from them. But at the end of the day, I still like kind of creating one single snapshot. And I also, I think what was really informative was I took um, ceramic classes early on in my uh, undergrad experience. And that was great because I was working, I took wheel throwing first and then a hand building class. And I was sort of working with three dimensional materials. And I'm just, I was always so used to making, looking at three-dimensional objects and making them flat, you know, not, you know, drawing them. So it was a great way to just kind of work within the three-dimensional realm and then have a new perspective. 
into my into my paintings and drawings. So I'm curious too, you know, in terms of like when you're kind of hitting your stride and, and kind of getting into, I guess, I'm assuming painting in terms of like your thesis exhibition and stuff like that. What kind of uh, things were you, you know, interested in making at the time for that? I think it took me until my, my senior year or like half, you know, I went, I did go to Italy my junior year, which was an amazing experience. But I think like, I came back to school and then that's when I really started to focus on what I wanted to do for my, for my thesis. Mm -hmm. And I was really interested in the technical aspects of drawing and painting. And I was slowly realizing that like, okay, well, what do I want to draw and paint and why and giving it all meaning, you know, and not just replicating something I'm, I'm seeing. And I was always, fascinated with figurative work and using my family as inspiration and sort of capturing isolation or dysfunction on like a really kind of soft and quiet level and noticing, I think I'm just, I feel like I might have a loud family, a relatively loud family. And I have always been a little bit more timid off to the side. And I I just like to observe and watch what is going on. And so I, felt really inspired to, to paint and, and draw those kind of moments of looking and watching different patterns arise or similar mannerisms just kind of popping up from generation to generation and always on like a sweet level, but also sort of funny too. And so my thesis exhibition, I was drawing a lot from my father and my brother and a lot of life-size drawings graphite on paper, um, or oil paint on, on stretcher bars and sort of mundane interior house scenes. And it was like a painting I did of my brother putting on his, his boot, but I sort of superimposed some images. So there was like implied motion, but it was still very kind of slow. And so I really liked that ordinary kind of moment that gets heightened and brought back to people's attention. Were those instances all just ones that you're kind of observing or did you kind of like, you know, write out like what you're observing and then thinking about like how you could kind of see it envisioned? Because, again, it seems like you alluded to earlier, you know, that that observation or working from representation or from a photograph. That's something that seems like it's still something that you're invested in now. Exactly. Um, I love that it's kind of coming full circle. I always my way of sketching is taking photographs. So I think even at that point in my undergrad, I was looking at these pictures I was taking of my family, especially like kind of vacation shots where there'd be a lot of people and everyone was sort of busy with their own thing or there was, you know, groups hanging out. um, But there was still this like isolation within company sort of weird feeling. And so I think I would look back at those photos and play around with, what kind of image I wanted to create and then kind of go, go from there. You know, and thinking about like that, that experience, I mean, what did you do in terms of just thinking about what you're going to do next? I mean, was it graduate school always on the radar or was there any time off or? I, it, it definitely was on my radar. I felt really connected with my peers at Syracuse and also as I got older, I got more close with the grad students that were there 
And so I kind of picked their brains of, you know, why did they go to grad school? You know, how much time did they take off? And, you know, I got a lot of different perspectives of, of like, go right away. You don't want to lose your momentum or, you know, wait a couple years, like see how your work develops. And I think my biggest advice was, you know, go somewhere where they're going to pay you or it's free. You know, this isn't, we're not going to be lawyers at the end of this. So you don't want to be too much in debt, you know, really realistic advice. And my biggest goal, I, I just really fell in love with painting and I wanted to get better at it. And so I knew eventually I'd want to go to grad school and kind of pursue it. And then, you know, I always had in the back of my mind, well, if I do get an MFA, that would allow me to teach in the future as well, which was also a passion of mine. After Syracuse, I was really fortunate to gotten a scholarship to attend the Chautauqua Institution mm-hmm. the summer right after I graduated, which was so amazing because, you know, at Syracuse, I, like I said, I was very close to my other painters, but it was a smaller program. There was only a handful of us. And so going to Chautauqua, you know, diving into this sort of residency slash there had, there were classes too. So it's kind of like a mix of, you know, workshop and residency. There were, you know, 20 other painting and drawers and there were 20, I think, sculpture students ranging from undergrads to graduate students. And so it was amazing to just jump into this pool of people, like-minded people that all had like a crazy interest that shared all those crazy interests you had. And I remember one time there was like a plane went by and it was like very loud and distinct. And all of us like stopped what we were doing and like looked like we just were looking around. And I was like, if I was with my friends back home, like none of this would happen because we wouldn't be sort of interested in this like weird thing happening. Again, as a Chautauqua alumni, I can say that it's kind of fun. Um, It's a crazy experience because I had this weird thing where everybody that I knew is like an abstract painter. And then I was showing up and there's like all of these people that are dealing with the figure and representation. And it was just such a interesting experience because you kind of get used to the people that you're around and then you get, you get put in this new environment and it's really eye opening, you know, even for a short amount of time, but especially there, cause it's like two months seems to go by very, very, very quickly. And again, you kind of really develop this real weird connection and bond to everyone as well. Um, And I'd imagine that you probably made a a ton of work while you were there as well. I did. I did. And it was, it's similar to your experience where there was a good range of sort of abstract painters and landscape painters and figurative. And I, you know, I was coming in wanting to do more figurative work, but really wasn't that inspired at that point. I think I sort of kind of finished that chapter when I graduated Syracuse. And so I started, you know, Stanley Lewis, was mm-hmm. there. I think he still comes back every summer. And I took some landscape painting and some plein air classes and sort of used, you know, I was in this beautiful location and I'm gonna, I was so used to painting and drawing from a photograph. So I took that opportunity to paint from direct observation, even if it was just some junk in my studio or if it was out my window or if I, you know, brought all of my supplies down to the lake and painted. And so that was another wonderful experience to get out of my comfort zone and kind of play with color and abstraction and deconstruction 
of what I was looking at to kind of simplify the shapes and the forms. Well, and so what happened after this? I mean, you kind of come away from this experience with, you know, a big glow, you know, I would imagine. Again, I remember kind of feeling like, I remember showing up back from Chautauqua on like a Sunday and I was shocked that nobody was in the studio working like the week before class. I'm like, why is nobody here working? You know, this is crazy. Right. Like you said, I had a, a glow probably after leaving and also had a good grad school conversation when I was there too of, you know, what is the next step? And I ultimately decided I did want to go to graduate school but I, I wanted to wait a little while. And, you know, I had that motivation and me- momentum from Chautauqua to, all right, well, now I can, like, I can paint outside. I can paint landscapes. I can do figurative work. I can, you know, I moved back home and was able to make a little space in the basement as a studio, worked there and outside. Um, so I had, you know, after graduation, I had all that time that, you know, I got a part-time job, which was which was great, but it had the flexibility to continue making work. And I got a little taste of like that, what a residency feels like. And so I wound up applying for the Vermont Studio Center and I went there the next year. So even though a whole year went by, I felt like I kind of kept the momentum going of making work, um, which was another great experience. And then I think after Vermont, I was like, I'm ready to apply to grad school now. In hindsight, this all worked out so perfectly. But the first year I applied, I applied to a bunch of schools just to see, like large schools, small schools, um, just to see what was happening. And ultimately got waitlisted at the University of Connecticut. And I kind of decided that's where I want to be. It was not too far away from where I grew up. It was a great small program really great location in terms of visiting Boston or New York city. And they had a teaching assistantship. So you could, uh, teach while you were there, um, was waitlisted. And then, um, I applied the next year and was so lucky. I got in that year and they had just changed it from a two year program to a three year program which was, which was huge. I always wanted to go to a three-year graduate program because that's what I saw. Syracuse had a three-year graduate program. And so I thought that was the norm and then realized a lot of painting and drawing programs are two years. So UConn was perfect. I'm so glad I was waitlisted that first year. Sure, sure. Well, and again, you have all this momentum going in. Was it something then that they immediately kind of challenged because you're doing residencies and you know, they want you to question everything and they certainly wanted me to question everything, which was the greatest push I could have gotten. I started, I applied with some figurative work and I kind of went back to some, some portraiture and some landscape work at, at Vermont. So I kind of had a, a kind of combination, um, of work I submitted. And so when I first arrived at UConn, I was working again, sort of figuratively revolving around old photographs and my family. And then I think I quickly, knowing it was a three-year program, I knew I had some time to play around. And But after that first semester, I think I sort of finally closed that chapter. And, you know, working figuratively, I was realizing I wasn't really working it in a gesture way, in an expressive way. These figures were really still lives. 
I was thinking of, okay, I like this way of observation. I love this pace, this slowness. And how else can I channel this? Because I'm not feeling inspired by the family dynamic that I was interested before. The great thing about UConn is they do have a good balance of working on your studio practice and also grad classes where you're rotating again through different video and experimental drawing. And so I was getting more inspiration. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it was this weird transition from working figuratively. And then I went back to the landscape a little bit and then the landscape everything was kind of fragmented and deconstructed. And then that landscape turned into, okay, some interior still lives. And then eventually it really settled down on sort of these abstracted still lives and looking at my studio, looking at the junk I'm collecting and saving and taking pictures of it, painting them from observation and focusing on like what they are, why they're important to me. What really did it was I was being challenged to discover why all this was important to me. Mm -hmm. And I was looking through pictures I was taking on my iPhone and just kind of finding patterns and like realizing like, oh, I took this, the same picture of the same of the spot, like accidentally because something was happening, like there was a shadow or there was like a weird flower thing. And so I was finding these patterns and was really interested in all of that kind of overlooked moment or undervalued things that were maybe everyone kind of passes by or they don't spend enough time with or sometimes they're just like inside jokes that I like would send to my friend but I wanted it to be I wanted it to last longer so I made a painting of it and so that kind of I kind of stayed on that track throughout the rest of my grad experience. Well, I'm kind of curious then too, is that like a formal thing where you're like seeing something, you know, maybe studio debris or, you know, you're just coming across this thing that formally is attractive or can it also be just like from an idea standpoint or like, you know, Hey, there's these five pieces of tree branch, you know, laid out in such a way that I'm like, Oh, that could be an interesting painting composition. Coming from a formal background, I had this tendency to make everything like nice and tidy and complete. That's, I think, the word I was trying to find besides balance. And, you know, my biggest struggle in grad school is like how to do something like a little ugly or a little wrong Mm -hmm. or push it in a different extreme. And so I was just kind of using the things I like taking pictures of and looking at and and being reminded of as a springboard for something harder you know, at first I was making paintings of these sort of kind of sweet, mundane, ordinary scenes. And then the feedback was they were, they weren't necessarily boring, but the viewer was seeing everything they needed to see and then moving on to the next painting and then very quickly leaving, you know, my slow pace, my slow paced painting was actually causing a very fast paced viewing experience. Mm -hmm. And so I had to figure out a way to, I wanted viewers to look at it longer. I wanted them to find their own connection with it and interpretation. And so that's when I started, I think, taking out all my tools I had formally and using abstraction to kind of mess all that up. You asked a question about um, a piece of work or a class in undergrad that sort of changed things up. 
or was a turning point. And I think there was a class at UConn taught by the painter Deborah Dancy. She taught an experimental drawing class. And, it, you know, experimental drawing meaning at one point I found this rug and I like kind of made drawings in it and, and nailed it to the wall. So it wasn't a traditional mm-hmm. uh, a drawing class at all. And in that class, I think I really pushed the boundaries of abstraction in my work and kind of took it to the other side and then was really able to kind of uh, reel it back in to find a good happy medium of where I wanted my work to go. But I'm kind of curious too, you know, like, cause you have a, a sketchbook tab, um, you know, is that also something that kind of informs us? And it sounds like maybe this class especially was helpful in terms of thinking about drawing, but you know, is that also something that comes into play aside from just, you know, observing or taking fo- photographs as, as reference? I mean, just sketching out ideas. I don't love sketching out um, to have a plan for a painting. I like when they sort of come more naturally or spontaneous. Um, but I love that. That It takes me like, I don't know, maybe five years to just fill one sketchbook. Like I, I admire the artists that can, that are just sketching and making work in their sketchbooks and just have these wonderful books, you know, even after a week or a month and looking at them is such a wonderful experience. And I always admired that, but I don't think I really had the patience or the interest to really like work in that manner. Like I said, photographs were kind of my way of sketching. So the sketches on my website that you're referring to were from last summer. I spent a month in Woodstock, New York at the Birdcliff Artist in Residency Program. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to take some time every morning. I kind of just sat on, on the picnic tables and drew and drew what I saw. And very quickly too, or just I have some like Crayola markers in there, kind of just looking at the materials I brought with me. I loved that when I was using permanent marker, I would go through the page. And so turning the page over, I was using that as a jumping off point to make my next drawing. So, you know, looking at the whole two sheets as opposed to each drawing individually became sort of interesting to me. So I have a couple of sketchbooks that the way drawing is and that a slower process that kind of gets me out of a normal a normal routine is helpful. Using Instagram is another form that I think I'm taking to sketch and to share some ideas really quickly because I'm, I'm taking the pictures I normally take, but if they're sort of abstract enough and I don't feel like I need to kind of make a painting out of it and it's doing just a really good job all by itself, that's what I'm going to post to Instagram and share. And so they're a little ambiguous, but maybe familiar Um, or they're just kind of strange and then that's staying in the form of, of, of a picture and it looks better on a digital screen and the scale makes sense. And then the pictures that I am painting from or real life, like I, those are the ones I want to explore more with paint and color and abstraction. And that's, that's where the crossroads things happen. Well, and I'm curious in terms of like the you know, the application of paint, how that's also changed. Cause I, you know, I've noticed that there maybe earlier on, it seemed like some of the, the layering was a little bit more thin or more washed. And then, 
it seemed like there's a, a period where you start to kind of really develop and kind of layer paint very thickly. Is that, you know, again, something that you kind of explore through each, you know, each painting that you kind of do in terms of just trying to find out what it needs? Or is that something that you're, you know, just kind of exploring as you kind of continue to different work and, you know, essentially continuing this process of obser mixed observation, essentially, and, and painting? Yeah, I explored a lot with different styles. And that one faculty member would always come into my studio and say, you know, a lot of styles is a blessing or a curse. It means like you can, you can paint in a lot of different ways, or it's sort of limiting because you're not focused in one or two different kind of places. And starting grad school and kind of starting these smaller paintings of the mundane, because they were on panels and canvas that were anywhere from six inches to six inches to, you know, 14 by 14. They're all very small. And so I was painting them in one sitting, either 15 minutes or an hour. And so it was a lot of wet on wet painting. And that, you know, naturally, I had to paint a little bit on the thick side just to get the color I wanted without blending or one stroke to kind of simplify this spot. And I also found that eventually becoming limiting because I wasn't working a full range of contrast and sort of subtlety. I wasn't really having any difference between surfaces, thin and thick, for example. And so then I had to kind of force myself to work over a much longer period of time, which was another great, it was just a, a good step in the right direction because that let me wait for paint to dry. I would have some thin marks. I really like letting the oil paint be what it wants to be. So if something is really washy with some, with some thinner or like medium and it's raw looking, if I don't want to, I you know, I don't always paint right over it. Like the underpainting is, is important to me sometimes. And so after a couple of days, once it dries, I respond to what I'm looking at and how the, this paint, the paintings coming along and then having that sort of be complemented by some thick painting or some loose gestural painting or just a really kind of flat surface as well. And again, coming back to this like balance and completion, there's like a little bit of everything. There's some raw, there's some thick paintings, there's, you know, small details versus a wide kind of empty space. And I think that sort of took me in the in that direction of exploring different, slightly different surfaces of paint. And I would imagine then, too, that it allowed you to work much more, you know, in, in terms of numbers so that you're not just trying to finish this one thing and then the next, you know. Yes, I, I had to, well, it didn't have to, but I started painting a couple paintings at the same at the same time. Um, because I couldn't just put in 15 minutes a day. Right. <laughs> and which was great because then I felt my paintings, I love them individually, but I think some of them are really good at informing each other. They become like little families or little clusters in my studio. And when they were painted one by one in one sitting, they're very much like, you know, you're looking at a scene over here and then this painting's a different one. And it's just this back and forth scattered quality, which was great. It was, it was its own thing. 
And then kind of taking longer to paint, I realized that a lot of paintings were informing each other and they were like having the same conversation. And that was giving me more of a a drive and a focus. And I guess, you know, we haven't really kind of asked, but are there any particular painters that you enjoy looking at that kind of help inform this? Or are you like myself and that you look at painting that, you know, doesn't relate to your work at all? I do a little bit of both. I grew up on Edward Hopper and Fairfield Porter. I remember Richard Diebenkorn was a a name that got thrown around a lot at Chautauqua. Mm -hmm. And so I loved, well, I loved the isolation and the slowness of Hopper. And then I loved the color palette of Fairfield Porter. And he was also making sort of these quote unquote, like paintings about nothing or interior spaces and light. So they were always sort of my favorite go-to painters. And then um, more recently, the contemporary abstract painters like Thomas Noskowski and Rebecca Morris um, really have been influencing my work. I love reading artist interviews because you get a better sense of what they're doing in their studio and what they're thinking about. And so I was just reading a bunch online and realizing they have the same interests that I have or they're, you know, they're doing similar things. So that's been really great. And I also have, again, like just a love of photography and I feel like I'm doing it in such a, like an amateur way, or it's, it's really just kind of like this hobby for me. I haven't had time yet to really kind of push myself and challenge myself in that field. But photographers like Robert Adams, um, and Stephen Shore, I recently went to his retrospective at MoMA this past spring and seeing how they're handling compositions and sort of the everyday, they're all informing my work. So what did you wind up then doing for your, your thesis exhibition? Is it kind of like a, a, you know, the, the best of the best, as it were, in terms of like kind of these all, all these mixed kind of observational kind of ways of working to kind of create these new series of paintings? you know, in the fall and then early spring semester, the goal was just to paint and then like have, you know, figure it out at the end. And so I didn't want to, you know, get too rigid and like, why am I like, you know, while I'm painting, you you never want to be thinking while you're painting or overthinking. And I have a tendency to do that quite frequently. So I realized I was sticking to this kind of general size of 20 by 20 inches on, on panel. And I was using direct observation and the pictures I was taking of sort of weird arrangement of shoes and cat and a cast shadow and different patterns. And it turned into sort of more formal compositions. And I wound up using a collection of paintings that had a small range of painting application and subject matter, but also were kind of contained to how I was looking. And so there were some studio detritus paintings, but there were some sort of nice, I don't know, moments that were happening in my apartment or birthday cakes, plants, sort of household recognizable shapes, but then they get disrupted by like just kind of weird formal lines and mark making. Towards the end of everything, kind of when everything was coming up to a close, I finally like, I had one professor that really wanted to challenge me and have me focus, you know, make five paintings of this one thing and seeing how it changed or how you're going to handle it each time. And I got 
really impatient and I didn't, you know, I would paint the first painting, but then didn't want to do it again. Cause you know, I, my eye was on something else or I didn't want to lose. I didn't want it to be overworked or overthought because I was consciously making that decision. I wanted it to come just more naturally, but eventually I, I kind of, I have this gridded rug in my apartment that I kind of was stumbling upon different shoes or pieces of paper. And I would just kind of, or like oranges or some sort of small objects that were like left on my rug. And that this gridded pattern with more like circular forms on top of it just gave me a lot to think about in terms of figure and ground and sort of formal, formal painting. And so I think I'm still sort of using the ordinary and the mundane and the cute and funny but exploring just what paint can do and how it can, how it can communicate different moments, how color can communicate something, how gesture can communicate something. And then hopefully just, I I kind of hope my paintings are offering some sort of moment of maybe you don't know what this is, but it's familiar to you and you like it. You can't name it but you're connected with it and you want to look at it a little bit longer. You know, that's my painting's ultimate goal. And just to share something that I'm seeing with someone else that also finds it to be sweet or nice. In terms of the observed and, and, you know, where things start, I mean, are there ones where there's a lot of, you know, source material that winds up in that painting. And then there's other ones where you're, you know, totally skewing the color and turning them into these other formal explorations that kind of don't really relate quite as much to maybe anything more than just the composition? The junk that I'm collecting could be anything from like a bingo, a bingo card that's like a grid with some circle forms or like a little, like a very small orange juice carton. And I feel like when they're, if I feel really connected to the object, they don't change too much in their form in the painting. And then if other objects, if like wires from my headphones are in there too, they kind of take on just a different aspect altogether. And so they're not, I, I change it. I do take pictures of my work as I'm going along. And I've noticed that what I have to do in the beginning is just kind of paint what I see kind of dumbly, just get it out there and then mess it all up. If I'm painting a birthday cake, like I paint it the way I see it. And then I kind of cut it up and I crop it and I like elongate some shadows. And then it just kind of depends how far I go or how long it's taking to develop how um, removed it is from the original, original source. We've kind of talked about, you know, all of these experiences mounting to this thesis exhibition. And if I'm not mistaken, then you have an exhibition that's going to be opening up shortly. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that? We had a MFA exhibition here at Connecticut called Close Third Person, and we'll be having um, another another show in New York City uh, June 14th at LMAC Gallery uh, in the Lower East Side in New York, and that's going to be up for until July 27th. Um, so we're really excited to be showing in New York and kind of getting our work outside of the comfort zone of, of grad school. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. Is it kind of predominantly like all painting or is it all mixed, you know, in terms of different media and approaches? There's five of us 
we are, there's two painters, there's a photographer, a printmaker, and there's another artist who works, who draws animation and some video work as well. So we're all kind of dabbling in different things, but that's generally our little cohort that we have. Very interesting. I'm, I'm sure everybody's excited to be, um, as you said, kind of getting getting out of your home, uh, your home turf, I guess, you know, opens up in a couple of weeks. Do you have other other things kind of going on in terms of your future? Or are you just thinking like I got to keep painting and and making or? Well, I do want to keep making as long as possible. I'm currently in, in the transition of moving. I was offered a job at Roanoke College in Virginia this next fall. I'll be a visiting assistant professor. And so I it's been a, a whirlwind past few weeks, but it's also really exciting. So I'm excited to be moving down to a new location and getting more experience in teaching and also seeing what living in a new state brings and how that's going to change my artwork. So things are right now in a slow space, kind of in that moving transition. Um, but that's, that's the next step and just see, see where it goes from there. Yeah. What an exciting place to be, right? Yeah, I got, I feel very lucky. So, you know, where can everybody go and find all of your, your artwork? I have, I do have a website. It's my name, clairestankis.com. And they also have a, a great Instagram account uh, at Claire Stankus Art. Awesome. Well, again, um, I, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with us about your work. And again, it was a pleasure to, to listen to your thoughts on it. And as you said earlier, I enjoy hearing directly from the artist as opposed to, you know, from some other middle manager, if you will. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Thanks once again to Claire for joining me. You can check out her work by following her on Instagram and, of course, by going to her website, clairestankus.com. She also has a sale going on of works to help make her move easier, so if you need something awesome for your wall, check out her work there. You can also see it in the flesh at Elmac Gallery in New York City, June 15th through July 27th, so please be sure and do that. A final reminder that our 2018 Studio Break competition is now open, but closing for all undergraduate and graduate level artists currently enrolled or recently graduated from a studio arts program. So again, if you are that student or you know somebody who is, tell them to apply ASAP. Again, it's super easy. You submit a small fee, 10 images and an artist statement, or a web address, and you are set. So please do it right now, again, as the deadline is May 31st today. We have a great juror, Brian Frank, who is a contemporary artist. He runs Raka or Rural America Contemporary Art up in Minnesota. And he also serves as the chair of the art department at Minnesota State University, Mankato. So we're very excited to have him on. And he will be selecting three undergraduate and three graduate artists to be featured on Studio Break. So why not share your work? Get those applications in today. If you're listening to Studio Break for the very first time, I do want to encourage you to visit studiobreak.com. Check out some of the other artists and interviews that you missed. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and a default player where you can listen to any of the podcasts. You can also use that iTunes link to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss one again. So please do that. 
You can also help by spreading the word about Studio Break. Let your friends know, artists, whomever. Again, we are available in a variety of social media platforms, so please be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Of course, the Studio Break podcast would be nothing without the music of Skylar Mail, so please visit his website, SkylarMail.net, to see some of his artwork. You can see some of my paintings at DavidLinaway.com, and of course, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at DavidLinaway, so it's always nice to hear from listeners and just in general love getting shout-outs, so please feel free to say hello. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.